All right. We've been in this series, Let's Say Grace. Can you say grace? Grace. Don't you, don't you love grace? Aren't you thankful for grace? Don't you love when you experience grace from the people around you and from God? I sure hope so, because it, it'd be tough if we didn't receive grace in, in, in all of our life. And uh, this, this series has been focused primarily on a book called Galatians. It was a letter that was written by Paul uh, to the early church. And the early church was wrestling with this message of grace. What, what is grace? And we've been looking at this message of grace really for the last four weeks. And we broke the, the letter down into really four sections. And the first week, if you, if you remember, Don uh, spoke, and it was a beautiful message that, that really came down to this. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's the message of grace, that, that it's Jesus alone, that we can't add to that. And the early church was wrestling with adding to the message of Jesus to represent our new life in Christ. And, and Paul was saying, you can't do that. If, if you do that, if you think that your actions, your activity can set you right with God, if you, if you think that, then you're, you're basically setting Christ aside and you're taking on for yourself uh, what, what you think you can do to earn your way back to God. And, and that's useless because none of us can get back to God outside of Jesus. So Jesus alone, like that's it. That's the message of grace. Don't add to it. Don't, don't keep piling things upon yourself that you, you think you have to do. Uh, Jesus accomplished everything that you can't accomplish on your own. And someone should say amen to that because we can't do anything to earn it. Like God loves you just the way you are, just where you are, all of you. He, he loves you. And his message of grace is that he sent Jesus. And so those first two chapters of, of Galatians are just Paul outlining this in a very specific way. Uh, and then the second week, we got into this idea that the table that God opens the door to, to humanity is, is a lot bigger than, than we imagined it to be. And that's good news for all of us too. Sometimes we think that the table that God uh, opens to, to the world is a small table and only certain people get to sit at the table. And uh, the truth is, it's a multi-ethnic family. Did you know today, around the world, like more people gather to worship God, to turn their hearts and their minds toward God, than, than people gather to watch football games on Sunday mornings. And there's a lot of people watching football games today. Some of you are watching it right now on your phone. Like you, <laughs> you think, oh, Matt's going to think I'm on, on you version, and so I'm, I, can, I can keep up with whoever's playing this morning, and it'll be good. And Think about all the stadiums in the United States that, that, that have people gathering today to, to watch a football game, which is awesome. I love football games. I love good sports and competitions. But there are millions upon millions of people gathering on Sunday to worship God, to turn their hearts and their minds toward Him. And the table and the look of the table is so much different than we ever imagined. And that's good news. See, in the first century, uh, the, the group of people that God had called to, to be his messenger to the world, they had limited the table to only a certain group of people. And, and God, in sending Jesus, opened the door to anyone to joining the kingdom of God. And that's, that's good news. 
And then last week we got into the question of, well, what about my behavior? Does that, God's grace, does that mean I can just do whatever I want, whenever I want, and it's no big deal? Or, you know, is there anything else with, with grace that would lead me to live in a certain way? And the answer is yes. Like, you can't add to grace. You can't earn God's love. But God's grace never leaves us alone. Like, God's grace is always uh, working in us. I, I, I came across this, this quote by Anne Lamott, and she says this, I do not understand the mystery of grace, only that it meets us where we are, but does not leave us there. Like God's, the, the mysterious power of God's grace is that it meets us wherever we are in the messes and the brokenness that we all have. Like God's, God's grace meets us there, but it never just leaves us there. It's always moving us. And I drew this terrible drawing last week, and some of you laughed at it when I put it up, and it's this, this idea. And, and what Paul is describing is, is not this picture of, of God's people and then evil people. He's describing this, this picture that is true within all of us, that we have one foot in what he called uh, the flesh, which is... is just the desires within us. I think desires is a good word there as well. Like the, the deep desires that we know don't lead to a good place that are within us. And he says we have one foot in, in the life of the Spirit, which is what happens when we, we choose to believe that the Spirit enters into us. And he says there is a constant conflict within us pulling us in two different directions. Now, we all know that to be true, don't we? Like there is something within us at war. And I used this phrase last week, uh, pay attention to the tension. Because when you, when, you, when you recognize that tension going on within you, it means that you're recognizing, you're recognizing the Spirit of God who, who wants to transform you and, and move you to become a different kind of person. And, and God always wants to lead you to life and away from death. And what Paul tries to represent, I, I believe, in his writing is that when we, when we just go with the flow of, of our deep desires, that, that so often that just leads us to death, and it leads us to pain and brokenness, that if we just do whatever it is that we want to do, that, um, that we find ourselves in broken relationships and brokenness in the life in which we live. So today, so that, that's gotten us through the first five chapters of Galatians. And if you haven't read it yet, I would encourage you to go open up uh, your Bible and read through Galatians this week as, as you prepare for, for Thanksgiving. It's a, it's, a great, it's a great read for all of us again and again and again. So chapter six today, some of you are like, we're just now getting to it. Chapter six today, final chapter and what I want to do today is, I, th I think what Paul does in the, at the end of most of his writings in the New Testament is he always leaves us with some super practical things that we should be about in our lives. And so I want to, I'm going to make this fairly simple like, like Paul does. Are you okay with that? Simple today? All right. Chapter 6. Grace is the foundation for a Christ-centered community based on love. 
That's what he wants us to know. That grace, if, if we want to build a community of love, and the Beatles, I think, were right. All you need is love. I think the Beatles were right. Like, that, that's all we really need, and it's all that we're after. But to get there, grace becomes the foundation that centers us on Jesus because Jesus is, is grace in the flesh. It centers us on Jesus, and it creates within us and among us something that is different than what we experience in the world at large. Does that make sense? That grace becomes the foundation for us. And so Paul gets super specific with this, and he gives us some, some things to practice, some things to be about as people in the world. Dear brothers and sisters, so he's getting, he's getting to the end of the letter, and so don't, don't miss this. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer, someone in the family, is overcome by some sin, you who are mature should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful. Be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Now, like we're going to pause as we walk through these, these final words of, of Paul because there's some, there's some things that I think are important for us to notice, some words that are important for us to notice. And I think I even circled, so, oh yeah, I underlined and circled. I've been having fun doing some drawings, and so I'm going to just keep doing it. And I want you to know it's okay to actually write in your Bibles, and on version, you can actually highlight things. I don't know if you found that yet, but if you hold on to something, and you can highlight it and then come back to it. So dear brothers and sisters, here's, we're getting to the end of the letter. Remember, he's been talking about Grace, grace, grace. Grace opens the door to more people to come to the table. Grace changes us from within. It's the Spirit working within us. But then grace has this community effect, this communal effect. And here's what it is. If, if one of you is overcome, and this word overcome, you know, when you translate words from, from other languages to English, sometimes you, you miss some, some nuances. You miss some, some things. And so I went back, and I wanted to look at this word. What does this word mean in the Greek? How else was it used in the Bible? And, and how can we learn what he's talking about here? Does, does it mean that anytime we see someone doing something that we know to be wrong or evil, that we should, like, jump on it all of a sudden? Like, when you notice your husband is doing something that he shouldn't be doing, or your wife is doing something, like, does that, is that what overcome means, or is there something more? And I think what the original is trying to get us to understand is that if someone is captured, that word captured, like, like held down, or if someone is quick toward doing the same thing over and over and over again. I think that's what Paul's getting at in, in the original. That when you notice someone is, is doing that, you who are mature should, and these two words I find incredibly important. And here's why. Because today and in the world in which we live, these two words are not valued at a high level. It's, it's often said that Christians are really good at telling people what they're against. And, and Paul says, look, if you're going to be a community of grace, 
Like, let's start with humility and gentleness. Now, go with me. If you have a child, if you have a baby, let's start with a baby. And and that baby, you want to nurture that baby to grow and do things that are wise and right. And that child begins to do things that you don't want them to do. And they're throwing things and they're yelling. Is the best way to address this child to yell back at them, a two-year-old, a three-year-old, to to throw things when you're angry at them? Is that the best way to address a child? Some of you are like, well, sometimes that works. No, like to be a loving parent, you, you realize that you have a number of years to nurture this child and guide this child and develop this child to become who God wants them to become in the world at large. And it takes time and it takes years. And we know as parents, or we should know, that when we do certain things in anger over and over, we break relationship with that child to where our influence begins to decrease. Does that make sense? But to remain as the influential person in that, in that child's life, even as they become an adult, it takes humility and gentleness. And so when we see within the community one another captured by sin, caught up in sin, quick to sin, our job is not to yell and scream and hold up signs, but rather to gently and humbly come alongside and enter into relationship and give the Spirit time to do the work that we can't do. Are you with me? And that is a hard thing because we want to point out other people's sins, and usually we do it because we don't want others to see our sin. It's easier if we redirect attention to others. It's why Jesus said, hey, you've got a plank holding out, hanging out of your eye, and somebody else has sawdust in theirs, and you want to look past the plank and get into their sawdust. Deal with your own stuff first before you ever go to someone else, gently and humbly. Now, the, the picture that I see of this in our world that I think is just beautiful is, is the program, the 12 Steps. And I know I talk about the 12 steps a lot. I just think there's so much power in the 12 steps because it's gentle, it's humble, it's a process, it's slow, and that's usually how the Spirit works in us. There are times I think the Spirit works quickly within us and it happens quickly and overnight, but more often than not, I think the sin that we all get caught up in, it takes time for the Spirit to nudge us and move us and it takes other people coming alongside us and walking with us. Are you still with me? Yeah, so Paul says, look, if we're going to be a people of grace, it's not about pointing out other sins and yelling as loud as we can and holding up signs and beating them over the head with the Bible and having Bible verses to go against them, but rather entering into the messiness and brokenness of life humbly and gently and taking the long game, the the long, slow picture of transformation that God wants to work in them. So he continues, In the same thought, he says, share each other's burdens. I love this part. Share each other's burdens. In other words, you know, take the things that weigh others down and and put them on your shoulders as well. Share their burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. 
Now, what is the law of Christ? Not a trick question, love. So bearing one another's burdens is fulfilling the law of Christ, which is kind of humorous that Paul says Christ has a law because he's been telling us all along there is no law. And he comes back and he's like, well, if you want to follow the law, here it is. It's love. Bear one another's burdens. Oh, well, I don't want to do that. <laughs> that takes time and it's difficult. He said, look, share one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. And this is why I love this part. If you think you are too important, you're only fooling yourselves. You are not that important. <laughs> look, at your, look at the person next to you and tell them you're not that important. No, seriously, tell them. Tell them they're not that important. Now, look, it's easy to tell other people that. It's a lot more difficult to look in the mirror and remind yourself of that. Right? Paul is saying... So often, we, we don't want to do the slow work of transformation with others. We want to walk past and get on our own. And he's saying, no, 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 you're not that important. Like, get over yourself. Join in the work that God is doing among you with others. Get into the messiness of life and become a community that is different than the world at large. Because the world at large, when, when life gets messy, the world likes to walk away. Don't be misled. He continues, don't, don't be misled. You, you cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. You'll ar- always harvest what you plant. Now, we know this to be true, don't we? Like if you plant something in the ground and it's taken care of, like what you planted in the ground is what's going to grow. Like there's not going to be something else that grows. If you plant an orange tree, you're not going to get grapefruit. And if you do, you planted a grapefruit tree. (laughs) And Paul's saying you can't mock God. You can't mock nature. What you put into the ground and and you work up, like you're going to get what comes from that. Does that make sense? And it sounds a little harsh. Like what he's about to say sounds a little harsh, but it's just true. We know this to be true. Those who live only to satisfy their own, own sinful nature, so you've got a foot in both worlds, those who are you know, filled by the Spirit and filled by the, their, their own desires, those who just do what they want to do all the time, they're going to reap, they're going to harvest what comes of that. If I want to be a more patient person, some of, it's almost become humorous, the, the number of you that are talking to me about Shay. And like multiple, yeah, like multiple people talking to me about Shay, and they're like, you know, there's other roads you can take. And <laughs> listen, if, if I want to be a more patient person, if I believe that God wants to develop that in me, I have to begin planting the things that develop patience in my life. And one of the things I can do, and some of you might think this is ridiculous, is I can just drive on Shay, and every time something within me wants to yell at other people or be angry or swerve in and out of them, for, for me to go where the Spirit leads me to just sit there and remain calm and, and take the time to, to just be and not worry about everything else. I mean, I live like five miles from here. And if I get behind a slow person, the difference between me getting home is like a minute and a half. It's not really that big of a deal, is it? And when I begin to like slow down and think about it, it's just ridiculous how childish I am at times. And if I want to reap patience, I have to plant patience. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so 
Like the things that you want to come out in your life, you've got to plant those things again and again and again and again. And he says, so if, if you're just satisfying your sinful nature, like you'll get decay and death because that what, that's what comes from it. But those who live to please the Spirit, those who like whatever the Spirit brings up, like you lean into that and, and you, you walk with that, you keep in step, like what Paul said last week, you keep in step with that, then you'll begin to experience what he calls everlasting life. And he's not talking like literally about heaven. Sometimes when we see that, we think just heaven. He's talking about like fulfilling life here and now. Life is so much more fulfilling when I'm not angry about traffic. It's ridiculous. It's crazy. I know. You don't have to tell me anymore. I know that I am, I've lost it. And if I want to reap a, a more peaceful environment, I've got to plant patience. So the question for you and for me is this, what am I planting in life? What are you, what are you planting in life? And not just yourself, but what are you planting in the people around you? I'm, um, I'm getting to the age where I'm starting to realize the things that I planted in my kids, like that'll bear fruit or it'll bear death. And there's so many times, like I see little pieces of me that I wish I could go back and change. Can I get an amen? Is anybody with me on that? Oh. You know, and you just pray that God's grace overcomes your weakness and your brokenness in that. But the things that we plant in the people around us, like, eventually, that's going to come to fruition. Like, that's going to come out of their lives as well. So what are we planting in the lives of the people around us? What are you planting in, in, in your spouse? I mean, seriously, what, what are you planting and, and the one who's, who's with you every single day. Are you planting love and joy and peace and patience? Are you planting anger and resentment and bitterness? You, you'll, get, you'll eventually get what you put in. I mean, we, we all know that to be true. So, final little piece. So let's not get tired of doing good. Let's, let's, let's not get tired of doing good for at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Like, that's good news, isn't it? Sometimes it's tough to plant patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness, and it's, it's hard to plant those things. But he says, look, if you don't give up, don't give up. If you don't give up, if you keep after it, eventually, at just the right time, you're going to reap blessing. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone especially those who are in the family of faith. Like this community, like look around you. Whether or not you like the, the people that are sitting around you or the people over across the way, like we should do good with one. Like we should start here. The people around us, we should do good for them. We should spend time walking through the messes and brokenness of life with one another. We should bear one another's burdens as God transforms us from the inside out. And we should do good when we have opportunities to. And if we do, we will reap the blessings of God. And that, my friends, is good news, isn't it? So what are you planting 
And this week, what kind of good can you do to the people around you? Just think about it for a second. What kind of good can you do to the people around you? See how Paul gets super practical? What are you planting? What good can you do? Those are two great, simple, practical things that all of us need to think about as as we wrap up this incredible book. Now, how we're going to close today, as you chew on those, we're going to sing a couple of songs like we, we always do. And we've got some stations around the room. There's candles. Maybe you want to light a candle and invite God's presence to be in your life. We've got communion, which represents the grace of God, the, the body and blood of Christ. So you can take communion. There's some here. There's some in the back. Uh, there's a prayer team that's always in the back. Maybe you just need someone to pray over you today. So we have the stations around the room where you can, you can walk as we sing and do a couple of things. Um, but I want us to, to, to wrap up this little section by standing together and reading the, the, the central thesis, Paul's central thesis. And um, I'm going to ask you to stand in just a second. Some of you are like, do I stand now? Just, just wait just a second. Um, I, want, I, I want to walk through it. This is his thesis for this whole letter. It's what this entire letter is built on. And we've, I think we've read it every week. And it's found in Galatians chapter 2. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, I I have identified fully with Christ, which means when Christ died on the cross, like I died with him, like I was there too. Like I've so identified with Jesus that I have been crucified with Christ. Does that make sense? Like my desires, like my, my identity, like, I've, I so want to lean into what God has given me through Christ, that I've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, it's no, longer, it's no longer Paul who's living. I mean, it's Christ who's living in me. Now, I realize I've got desires that lead me astray. I've got brokenness. I've got chaos. I know the world in which we live has been compromised. It's not as God intended it to be. So I realize I still got junk. I've still got stuff in my life. But it's no longer I who's living. It's it's Christ who's living in me. And the life that I live in the body, I'm living by faith in the one who loved me and gave his life for me. So I will not set the grace of God aside as if it's meaningless. Is that... Like, that's a summary of the whole, the whole thing. It's Paul saying, this is what it's all about. Like, if you believe, it means that you've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer you who's living, but it's the Spirit. It's Christ living in you. And the life that you live now, you don't have to live by doing all the right things and saying all the right things. The life that you live now, you should live by faith in the one who loved you and gave himself for you. Don't set the grace of God aside. Don't set the grace of God aside. Lean into it. Live in it. Let it change you from the inside out. Would you stand with me? We're going to read it together. You ready? Almost? Okay, here we go. You ready? For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body I live by faith in the one who loved me and gave himself for me. 
I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. Ah, such a powerful passage with so much truth in it. So we're going to sing this song, and we're going to start with these words, and I wonder if they would become kind of our mantra today. It says, it says this, you're my uh, author, my maker, you're my ransom, and my savior. You're my author, you're my maker, you're my refuge, and you're my hiding place. You're my helper and my healer. You're my blessed redeemer. You're my answer, you're my saving grace. Isn't that a great lyric for Thanksgiving? So let, let's, let's sing that together as a church.